For Christian men and women called into marriage, God has put on them a special task. He has called them to serve another sex that is foreign to their own experience, ask them to sacrifice their own needs for the good of their family and for others, and ask them to do all of this until death tells them it is all complete. During the COVID-19 pandemic, this calling is being tested like never before. Back in April, I began reaching out to people in the LSQ community to see how they were handling what was then the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. This is the second of four in-depth conversations with our brothers and sisters about how they handle faith and how it changes all of the other issues in their lives. In this episode, we focus on how one handles the joys and struggles that come with the Christian idea of marriage. That, of course, brings about many questions. How is someone formed into a good husband or wife? How do you define good? How can you be an influence of love to care for your spouse even when it is hard for you? How does Jesus compel Christians to mobilize their faith to actively use their marriage to not just love each other, but also your neighbors, and through that, the world? I'm Ian Costin, and all that and more is on this episode of LSQ Convos. Let's get started. I'm really excited today to talk with a very special guest. He's been a congregant of LSQ since 2018. He's a resident of the Upper West Side, at least pre-COVID. He runs a private practice called Crosstown Counseling, and he is the author of two great books. The first, Sipping Saltwater, How to Find Lasting Satisfaction in a World of Thirst, and also of the recent Amazon number one bestseller, Marriage Conflict, Talking as Teammates, a 31-day devotional for life. It is my pleasure to introduce Steve Poppy. Hi, Steve. Hey, how are you, Ian? I'm doing good. How is your counseling center doing right now? Yeah, great question. Um, so it, it's interesting because one would think that counseling is something that would just be exploding right now in light of the uh, current struggles and that that people are facing the anxiety that's being induced, the confined uh, spaces that we are living in, the depression that might be exacerbated by situations um, like quarantining. Uh, and so, yes, there there is a heightened need for care in the mental health world. And yet, simultaneously, we have this conflicting factor in that the economic crisis has made it uh, a lot of luxury items or quote unquote luxury items um, taken that off of the budget, I guess you could say. Uh, and so um, I would say that that uh, counseling sessions, uh, expensive counseling sessions sometimes um, are not on the top priority. So it's kind of a balance. There's a heightened need. And so more clients come in, uh, but there's also financial strain. So that means some clients leave. And so it's basically remained relatively steady. Wow. Well, that's good to hear. In that context, since we're talking about marriage anyways, would you mind telling us a little bit about your wife, Abby, and how you guys are doing right now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So my wife, Abby, is absolutely incredible. She's my better half. Uh, She is... Uh, down here, obviously, down here with me in Florida. Um, she's a deaconess at Redeemer Lincoln Square uh, and has been involved with Redeemer for over, I think, 15 years. 
Um, and living down here in Florida, we're actually doing fantastic. We're probably doing better than we ever have in our entire marriage, mostly because we are, have a have a house and not living on top of each other. But um, I think this time has really drawn us together. Um, I think it's it's been a time in which we've been forced to really pray, to rely on the Lord, to supply all of our needs. Um, it's forced us to deal with conflict, uh, which obviously is the topic of the book um, that I just wrote in a in a way in which we can't escape right there's nowhere to go so um we've had some really good robust conversations together had some really great prayer time have have had some really great time with our community at lincoln square obviously virtually but side by side um her and i and so i think that's a bonding experience and overall, I think that um, God has used this this COVID crisis for her and I uh, to strengthen our marriage for good. So I'm very grateful for that. Wow, that's really awesome to hear, especially you hear a lot of stories about how this is almost becoming the end of so many marriages because people realize, wow, like I am not equipped or maybe they feel the other person is equipped for that relationship. And so really good to hear that that's not happening to both the both of you. Um, and I do want to get to your book, but first, let's rewind the clock back a little bit for you in your life. Growing up, are there any moments that you can particularly point to and say, wow, like that really affected the way I view marriage, that really formed the way that I view mental health, that you feel like is affecting you today and maybe helping you and your marriage thrive today? It's a fantastic question. Um, and the question's a bit complicated, uh, and it's complicated because I grew up in, in a home in which I did not see a healthy marriage. I grew up in a home with a, an alcoholic father who passed away about five years ago, um, and my parents were divorced by the time I was 10 years old. And so the first 10 years of my life, well, you know, basically between the ages of through four and 10 um, I didn't see healthy marriage. We, I did not grow up in a Christian home. I, I experienced a lot of fighting, a lot of yelling, a lot of unhealthy uh, conflict uh, management, I guess, if you could call it that. Um, and, uh, and so the answer to your question, to be perfectly honest, is that I didn't see good examples of of marriage and especially not godly marriage and, and godly marriage conflict growing up. It wasn't until I became a Christian um, in college, the latter portion of college that um, and started spending time with, with Christians who were indeed married uh, that I first saw uh, examples of what it looked like to be uh, healthy uh, and to have a healthy uh, relationship with your spouse. And like I mentioned, uh, Mindy Meyer, Bill Meyer, um, the woman who led me to Christ and then my pastor being the first couple that I ever saw what it looked like to have that type of a healthy marriage. And then, um, yeah. And then as I engaged in, in Christian community in college and beyond, I was started to see more and more of those healthy marriages, read more about what marriage is supposed to look like, see what marriage is supposed to look like in scripture and um, so, yeah, my, my formative years did nothing but basically teach me what marriage is not supposed to look like hmm. as opposed to what it's supposed to look like. In the same way that you had all these kind of bad influences show you what not to do when it comes to marriage, what were maybe some good things that drove you to pursue seminary and eventually counseling? Is that something you fell into? Is it something that people 
pushed you into? How did you get to that point where you made the decision to pursue it as a career? Yeah, and this this goes a little bit into my, I guess you could say, goes a bit into my testimony in which I, I became a Christian in college um, at when I was in a fraternity. So the the, the funny story uh, is that, I mean, a funny spin on it, I guess you could say, is that I grew up in Wheaton, Illinois, which is kind of the Christian epicenter of the, the United States, um, or at least was at the time, and or at least the evangelical Christian epicenter. And uh, I wasn't a Christian. I was Catholic. Um, did not know God, didn't really have any relationship with God whatsoever, and went away, uh, left Wheaton, um, and went away to college, and a big, huge college, joined a fraternity, lived the frat life, and a friend of mine, uh, actually a member of, actually an elder at Lincoln Square, Jason Stone, invited me to uh, and a meeting called Greek University Christian Fellowship, which is a university for uh, guys in, in fraternities and, and girls and, and women in, uh, in sororities. And I became a Christian through that uh, ministry. And I kind of was one of those people who hit the ground running pretty hardcore when, when it came to when I was a Christ, becoming a Christian. And so got super involved. And yet at the same, at the same time, I was an engineer, I was studying engineering and, uh, finished up my engineering degree while I was doing a bunch of ministry with InterVarsity and, and, um, at the time what was called Campus Crusade for Christ. Now it's just crew. And, uh, and so I, and I graduated in the fall of 9-11 when there were no jobs. So I stayed and got my master's degree in industrial engineering and it was then where I really started uh, pouring into Campus Crusade and a graduate ministry there and uh, got a job at NASA at the Johnson Space Center as an engineer um, after that and was working at NASA um, in robotics and, and in engineering. And it was ironically down in, in Houston, Texas at the Johnson Space Center that I got invested in an incredible church just was just just incredibly immersed in my faith spending two and a half three hours doing quiet times devotionals in the morning waking up at five in the morning uh spending four or five nights at church a week just kind of absolutely if you want to say obsessing i guess about about christianity but that i think that's probably a good one it's not an idol it's it's actually probably a good um a good thing to uh, to do. But, um, that is where I started to feel a nudge away from engineering because I was working at NASA and I was working with astronauts. I was working with people of just amazing people who had just been in outer space, literally astronauts who had just been in outer space. And I was, uh, working on a project called Robonaut, which was a, a robot that was supposed to operate on the outside of the International Space Station, um, part of that project. And I was totally bored and and just kind of like going through the motions during the day and just not finding any satisfaction in, in working on things that were impacting people's lives on a daily basis and spending every ounce of time I had outside of NASA um, in ministry, in church. And I Basically, after about a year, I, I closed my eyes and asked myself, what would I do if with my life moving forward? If if, you know, my expectations were out the window, if my parents expectations were out the window, if money wasn't an issue. And I, I decided I would probably do what I do, you know, 20 hours a week when I'm not in 
work and that was ministry. And then all of a sudden I thought to myself, wait, people do that. They're called pastors. <laughs> hmm. And so I, you know, I made a very, very quick and I guess you, you might say impulsive decision and decided I'm, I am going to um, go into full-time ministry, dabbled with the idea of maybe going to college ministry, but thought that I just didn't know a whole lot since I had only been a Christian for about two years. And so decided to go to seminary and ended up at Gordon-Conwell uh, Theological Seminary, where a lot of people at Redeemer um were uh, Michael Keller, Abe Cho, um, and and I think maybe a couple others um, in the New York area were all we were all there together. Didn't really know each other that well. I mean, I I didn't know many of them very well, but yeah, got my MDiv and um, came to New York City after my MDiv when I was 27 years old. This was 2007 and thought I wanted to plant a church. So I did the Redeemer Church Planting Program, um, which wasn't city to city at the time. It was just the Redeemer Church Planting uh, Residency. Did it for a year, worked with a couple churches, was a pastor at Trinity Grace Church on the Upper East Side, but reached a point, basically a fork in the road, where I needed to decide if I was going to be a lead pastor at Trinity Grace or pursue something else. And at that time, I had realized that my passion, my gifting, um, and really where I was seeing a lot of fruit was more in the discipleship counseling realm. So I uh, ended up going back to school and studying at uh, Westminster and through CCEF, which is a Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation. And uh, did a residency at CCEF um, under people like David uh, Paulison at Welch and others at CCEF. And uh, yeah, and went down the biblical counseling route as opposed to the uh, lead pastor route and have been in counseling ever since then. Wow. So you go from really hard childhood to frat boy to building robots, to church planter, and now you have a marriage devotional. Now, what I like about this devotional is that it's divided into 31 days with 31 distinct principles for healthy and holy marriage conflict. Mm -hmm. So after, you know, in the context of all that you've been through, I'm very curious as to where you came up with these principles. So... The reason why this 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 devotional, I mean, no book is easy to write. There's no if anyone tells you that a book is easy to write, then it's probably it might not be the best book. I'll just put it that mm -hmm. way. Um, but this book was it, it wasn't necessarily incredibly difficult to find the material to write the book. And the reason why is because these 31 days, which consist of 31 distinct principles for healthy and, and holy marriage conflict. They were uh, they, they came out of the working laboratory of the counseling office and about, you know, between five and seven thousand hours of marriage counseling I had done over the course of 10 years or so before I started writing this. And um, over the course of that many hours of doing marriage counseling, you tend to see patterns, unhealthy patterns of communication and conflict resolution that tend to repeat themselves over and over again and seem to be almost universal across couples. And, you know, I would do an exercise in which what I would call a communication covenant uh, between a husband and a wife. And I would make them describe, like call the logs out of their own eyes. What are unhealthy communication um, 
patterns or habits that you yourself are doing and share that with your spouse and share that with me. And we can put that down and we will create a covenant that we will use to make essentially vows between our spouse and the Lord that we will work hard not to fall into these traps. Well, you create, you know, a couple of hundred of these covenants. And like I said, you tend to see some repeated ones. And um, trust me, I had a lot more than 31 that repeated themselves uh, frequently, but I did, I was able to narrow it down and kind of, kind of cipher them down into 31 days, 31 different topics um, that tended to repeat themselves. Um, I would also say that another source of content was my own marriage and my own heart, (laughs) in particular in the dynamic that existed between Abby and I and some of the patterns that tended to repeat themselves between her and I and just a lot of the ugliness in my own heart. And so, uh, yeah, a little bit of a lot, sorry, a lot of introspection and analysis of my own failures and faults as a husband. Uh, And then the third is, you know, and perhaps not perhaps definitely the most important was scripture right? You see a lot of commands uh, in the Bible about how to communicate with one another, how to treat one another, how to love your spouse as Christ loves the church. And um, and not just that, how to interact interpersonally with other members of the body of Christ. And so you take those three, you know, like I said, five to 7,000 hours of counsel, of marriage counseling with you know, nine and a half years of, of, of marriage to Abby plus um, the word of God saturated with principles and, and commands and, um, and Christ uh, emulating what it looks like to have healthy communication with others. And uh, you do have more than enough material, I think, to fill 104 pages of a, of a marriage devotional. So <laughs> that's where it all came from. What are maybe three to four principles that you think are uniquely challenging for New York couples and New York Christian married couples? Uh, Uniquely to New York couples. That's, that's a, that's, that's tough because what I've, I've found is that I don't think the setting in which we find ourselves often um, is the is the the greatest contributing factor to marriage conflict that's really ultimately in our hearts um, but i will i will uh, I will give you what I see most often here in New York um, I think one is avoiding conflict and I think part of that mm-hmm. might yeah. be due to the fact that we often live on top of each other. And if we're just going to be, uh, you know, going at each other's throats day in and day out and living on top of each other without really any means of escape, really anywhere to go, uh, it sometimes can just feel like it's a lot easier to just avoid it, sweep it under the rug, you know, stuff it and, and just move on because it's just not worth it. We're just living in too tight of quarters and let's just pretend like everything's fine, right? So, and, and avoiding conflict is a marriage conflict, what I would say, pitfall. It's day four of the devotional. 
um, because God designed us to uh, sharpen one another through conflict. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, uh, or one man and one woman and one spouse and another spouse. So I, th- I would say avoiding conflict is a, a particular pitfall. Um, I think trying to fix one another uh, is is definitely a, a a pitfall. And what I mean by fixing is, you know, trying to conform your spouse um, at best into God's image and at worst into your own image. Uh, that that is a pitfall. Um, you cannot change your spouse. Only God can change your spouse. And really only through the work of the Holy Spirit and through his word uh, does a spouse, do, do we ever change? And we can try to put on our tool belts and, and try to point out all of the faults and failures and, you know, play uh, marriage counselor to our spouse. But sometimes some, so, somehow it just doesn't, doesn't really work. <laughs> when, when marriage counseling from your spouse is hard to receive, I guess you could say. So um, I would say fixing. Um, I would say comparing is another marriage conflict pitfall. Uh, you know, we we go to church, right? And we see the best selves of everybody. You see a lot of couples, they have, you know, they're dressed really nice and they have their sort of two or three children and everyone's doing really well and they're got their arms around each other worshiping and everything just seems to be really, really perfect. And you compare your marriage to their marriage and you start to become resentful and bitter and that, that will inevitably pour into your marriage. Um, and, and comparison is just a deadly game. Number one, because you're comparing yourselves to unrealistic versions of, of other couples. And, uh, and number two, it just breeds envy and jealousy. Uh, and if somehow you find yourselves succeeding in marriage better than those other couples, then it, it, you become prideful. And all three of those are, are um, not necessarily, uh, well, definitely not God's will. Um, and then, uh, gosh, um, I'm just trying to think of, like a, a big one, and I would just say one common pitfall fall as well is is just worshiping your spouse. And but by, by worshiping your spouse, I'm not talking about bowing down to your spouse and and thinking they're the most incredible person in the entire world. Trust me, that just doesn't really happen very often, if ever. What I'm talking about is allowing your spouse to rule your emotions, your behaviors, your actions. Uh, giving them power over your heart, allowing them uh, to have um, a sense of control over you that only God should have. And uh, it's something something that's often very subconscious. Uh, but any time that your spouse has a grip on you to the point of driving you to a point of sin of, or, or anger or inordinate, um, just unhealthy emotions, it means that your spouse carries more weight than God does. And that's that's a sign of an idol. So it, when I say worshiping your spouse, I don't necessarily, again, mean bowing down. I mean, like, like in a, I love you, I love you, I love you way, but more just having them have too much power over you. And like I said, none of these are unique to New Yorkers. Um, 
I do think marriage conflict tends to become a little bit exacerbated just due to the proximity in which we find ourselves and also the difficulty uh, of just doing life in New York City. It's just harder. The circumstances are harder. Um, carrying children up and down subway steps and managing life on rainy days with three kids and no car is, is harder. So I think we just need to be a lot more on guard and a lot more filled with spirit um, and cultivating the, the spirit through the means of grace. In every LSQ convo, there's so much more to dive into no matter the topic. A Christian understanding of marriage is no different. For more resources on marriage, its calling, and what it means, please visit our website at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash marriage. Now, back to our convo with Steve. As you were saying those things, you know, comparing and worshiping your spouse, it seems like those would almost go hand in hand because if you're looking around and you see people seem to be happier, then if you feel like if you don't have a happy spouse, then things are going to come into conflict and therefore you're going to have a more of a messy marriage. Do you feel like Christian couples need to be more okay with that messiness to be able to grow closer to each other? Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the greatest myth is that the purpose of marriage is to make you happy and that everybody else is, well, actually, the greatest myth is that everybody's happy who's married. And, mm-hmm. if you, yep. and if you were in my office, um, you would see that there are a lot of couples that look very, very happy on Sundays. And it's not just Sundays in, in any type of social situation that, you know, are on the brink of divorce. They can't stand each other. They are um, at each other's throats and they don't know where to go with it. But if you were just to see them for a brief moment on a Sunday or even in a small group or wherever, um, they would appear like, like nothing was wrong. And what happens with that is it creates a standard, a subconscious standard within the Christian community that that's how it's supposed to be. And if it's not like that, mm-hmm. then there's nothing wrong with my marriage. And we're the only one. So you feel like you're on an isolated island. And geez, everybody else is doing great, but we're struggling. And then that, you know, the, the downward spiral is like, well, if we're struggling, then we must be really wrong, you know, and then that tends to breed resentment or fear or bitterness or whatever. And then those things tend to pour into other conflicts and it's a downward spiral. But I do think that one of the one of the best things we can do as as married couples um, in the church is just to be honest about the struggles of marriage and just be real and raw and authentic. Not, not to the point of throwing your spouse under the bus. We never want to do that. We want to let all of our words be edifying, um, especially those when we're speaking about our, our, our spouse, but uh, to put on, you know, happy masks on Sundays in a small group and in, and in, in public settings, um, all that does is make people feel uh, incredibly afraid to be honest about the reality 
of the challenges that exist in marriage. Um, and mm. quite frankly, every marriage, it's hard. God designed it to be hard. He designed it to be an agent of sanctification. And one of the phrases that I use, I might use it as a title of a future book, is that no one becomes holy by eating apple pie. <laughs> right? Mm. We become holy through, I mean, through suffering, through right. iron sharpening iron. And any metaphor for sanctification in the Bible, whether it's refiner's soap or refiner's fire or iron sharpening iron, it's painful. And, you know, if the purpose of marriage is really at the end of the day to emulate the relationship between Christ and the church, but not only that, to become more like Christ, to become more sanctified. And the means to sanctification is often suffering, if not always suffering, then we're doing a, a huge disservice to the church when we present the image that marriage is supposed to be happy and everyone is happy. Because then it sends the implicit message that marriage isn't sanctifying. And, and, and that's just the opposite of what God, not the opposite, but that's just not what God teaches in his, in his, um, in his word. And I love, I just got to, I, I have to quote the title of the book, Sacred Marriage, not the title, but the, by Gary Thomas, the subtitle, what if marriage was meant to make you more holy than to make you happy? And I think that's kind of what I'm getting at. And without um, without being honest about the suffering and, and without, uh, if we feel like we have to hide behind it, then we're just not going to sanctify. We're not going to become more sanctified and we're going to have a hard time communicating that sanctification process to the church, which we need. So. Mm, that's really good. So you talked a lot about the importance of us needing to come together as a church and for us to not, you know, idolize our spouse, our spouse, but rather God has provided them to us to be able to bring us closer to each other and to him. What do you see the role of friendships in marriages? So not just husbands and wives, friends with each other, and not just husbands and wives, friends with other married couples, but how do you see the working out of just general friendships, married, unmarried, older, younger within the church to be continue to build up and strengthen that foundation of faith under marriages? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I my, my wife and I, Abby and I lead a small group and we intentionally wanted to have our small group be a, uh, a mixed group. So, um, that means that it's composed of married couples and singles. And, uh, and the reason why is because I think that's important for married people to be able to learn from single people and from single people to be able to learn from married people and to also just de derail the myth that there are two groups of people in, in the church. There are married people and there are single people and they tend to stand on their own islands and um, interact with, uh, only, only the people on their, on their islands. Um, and again, what, and the reason why that's a bad thing is because I think it does send the message. There's this elevated, ver, you know, you're, you're, you're better if you're married. Um, and, uh, or you just don't understand us because we're married and we have, right. And right. 
Um, but I think that we, as, as married people, we, we need to not only, um, learn from single people, learn about their struggles and their trials and their challenges and their difficulties, um, and really work to help them. Um, but they see the world, especially younger people see the world through a fundamentally different way that you, you can tend to like forget about, uh, when you're married, cause you're so zeroed in on, on marriage and your spouse and your family and potentially your kids. So they have a lot to teach. They single people have a lot to teach married people. And then married people obviously, obviously have a lot to teach single people in terms of, I don't know, first off, how to, how to really evaluate who is an appropriate spouse, who is a good spouse uh, to teach about what the purpose of marriage is. Um, And, you know, and, and I can't, I guess I, I can't get into the specifics of, you know, what are the unique things married people can teach singles and singles married people, because it's just, it's too complex. There's too many, you know, different ways, but at the end of the day, we are, we are all members of the body of Christ. We are all different seasons of life. Um, and I think there are different age. I mean, we need people of all ages. We need people who are single. We need people who are married. We need people who are married with children. We need people who are, are married, but have perhaps lost a spouse. We need people who are married and potentially divorced to be able to share a little bit of wisdom about perhaps some of the failures in marriage or the challenges that they faced in marriage. We need everybody to be working and collaborating together so we don't uh, create, like I said, a series of islands that don't interact uh, with each other. So, yeah. Mm, That's great. Yeah, totally agree. Um, How have you seen yourself and your marriage evolve, maybe not necessarily with specific principles laid out in the book, but just in your process in writing the book, and maybe how was it different than when you wrote Sipping Saltwater? Um, so it, it, so I, what I hear you asking is basically like, how has my marriage changed as I've written this book? This marriage conflict devotional, is that what you're asking? Yeah, basically, as you're thinking about all these topics and you're doing so much introspection on yourself and your marriage, how have you two been benefited from that? Yeah, well, on the one hand, I mean, I can probably speak much more for myself than I can can speak for Abby. But number one, it's exposing a tremendous amount of hypocrisy in me. Um, I'm writing these days, you know, these devotionals that are rooted in scripture, you know, um, exhorting people to communicate with their spouse in, in, in certain ways rooted in biblical principles. And (laughs) I'm a hypocrite. I mean, I, I have failed at every one of the 31 principles. I promise you, I have, I have failed at all 31 in the course of my nine and a half year marriage with Abby. And so, um, there are certain days where I just feel completely convicted that I'm sitting here writing this devotional and I don't have it figured out. Um, but then again, I think any, any minister, any pastor, anyone who's doing ministry or anyone who's writing, they don't have it figured out. None of us have it all figured out. And so, um, but it's very humbling. And it's also, um, I found myself, 
just feeling a lot more accountable because uh, the, you know, if I'm, if I'm teaching other people how to have healthy marriages, then, and not living it out myself, then, um, then I'm, I don't know, it feels somewhat, uh, two-faced and perhaps hypocritical, pharisaic, not, you know, and so this devotional has given me personally a high level of accountability because I have staring in my face, a work that I produced, um, convicting me and rebuking me for the ways in which I fall short in my marriage. Um, and then I do think that it has helped Abby and I really kind of narrow down somewhat of a playbook on how to talk to each other and how to view each other as we engage in difficult topics and as we engage in, in conflict. And so um, a lot of the principles that are articulated in this devotional have definitely made their way into our marriage uh, since this has come out. Now, granted, the book just came out like a week ago, and Abby, while she did have a part of the in the editing process, had not really read the full, you know, the full book. So I think there's a little bit of a TBD on how this impacts us interpersonally, but I do know um, undoubtedly that it is having a positive impact on my own heart and really convicting me. That's awesome. Well, Steve, thank you so much. I really appreciate your openness and honesty in this marriage topic and conversation and especially all the pain that you yourself has faced and the realities of it. But uh, as someone who is getting married soon, I find it very encouraging. Uh, But before you go, uh, (laughs) thank you. Before you go, though, where can we find you and more of your work? Yeah. So, um, thanks. Thanks for asking that. Um, I, I have a website, uh, stevehoppy.com. It's S T E V E H O P P E, uh, com. That's where I keep a lot of the article, the published articles that I produce for the gospel coalition, biblical counseling coalition, and various other platforms. That's where you can find out a little bit about, um, crosstown counseling. Uh, that's where you can find out, um, just a little bit about kind of who I am and a little bit more about me. Uh, that's probably the best, best place to go would be stevehoppy.com. If you want to follow me on Facebook, uh, there's two pages. You can go, there's Crosstown Counseling has a Facebook page and then my own personal Facebook page. Um, don't do Twitter because I just don't want to do Twitter. (laughs) I totally understand. Um, I found that it was sucking more out of my soul than it was actually helping me. And then I don't do Instagram, uh, for the same reason. It just, uh, something that I just don't need to add. I don't think to my, to my life. So, um, but Facebook is my thing and, um, stevehoppy.com. That'd be, that'd be where to go. Awesome. Well, there you have it. Amazon number one, bestseller marriage conflict, talking as teammates, 31 day devotionals for life. Author Steve Hoppy, thank you so much, Steve. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of LSQ Convos. Please keep a lookout for episode three of our four-part series of Early Pandemic Christian Life. Redeemer LSQ is a Christian church that believes in the saving power of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Though imperfectly, We strive to be a church not just for ourselves, but for others. 
You can find us streaming Sunday worship services on our Redeemer LSQ YouTube channel, among other resources to help bring others closer to Jesus and to each other. The music for today's episode is by Get Back Jack Productions and Happy Go Lucky. Please leave a rating and a review so we can know what you think and how to improve what we do here on LSQ Convos. See you next time. Thank you.